Morning, all. Morning to those of you with us, gathering with us online as well this morning. As John mentioned uh, earlier, a few minutes ago, we are wrapping up today, this uh, 19th of November, a series that we started four Sundays ago, three weeks ago, called Send Me. Okay? And this, let me just, as a, as a recap, let me tell you where we have been in the last uh, four Sundays. We started with a panel up here, if you remember, those of you who were here, of our global partners, or some of them. We've had, I think, a dozen here. There's a few more in the lobby on your way out today. I hope you'll say hello. Uh, but we've had brought in from both local and local area, region, and around the world. Our partners have been here. We started with a panel um, talking with them about their calling. How have they been living it out as a way to inspire us. Then the following week, which was two Sundays ago, we talked about our personal calling, which is really at the heart of this whole series. It's really right from the Bible where Jesus said to his disciples, which represented the church in that time, he said, listen, as the Father has sent me into the world, I am now sending you. This is the essence of of what it means to be a Christian. It's the essence of what it means to be the church. And that's what we're talking about for these weeks is to say, do you and I understand that? Are we, are we embracing that call? Because every single one of us has been called. So the message was called a personal calling. Last Sunday, we talked about the faith that is required to live out that calling. Just because I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, you don't wake up and just automatically out of bed spring into action. It's not native to you or native to me to want to go out there and share the gospel. It takes faith. It's very important. Your faith, my faith, the essence of our faith. You know, the the Bible says the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's a fancy way of saying that faith is something that you have to exercise trust in God it doesn't always line up with what you see you're trusting God you're trusting his presence you're trusting his power to show up in your life as you live out the Christian life and you live out your calling so we talked about the faith that is required every day to live out your faith and I want to conclude this uh, series by talking about the importance one of the primary ways we live out this faith of having conversations and making space to talk about our faith with other people. That's ultimately what we are called to do. To have conversations, to talk about our faith with other people, the people that are in our lives. It's one of the most important ways followers of Jesus experience their calling. It is the why of being sent that's why God didn't send us in the world to you know give greetings God didn't send us in the world to build buildings God didn't send us in the world to you know uh, do uh, many things that we can do the primary purpose as the father hath sent me okay there's an analogy here why did the father send Jesus so that he would die for people's sins he would rise for the dead and then bring forth the message of hope, of forgiveness. That's the point. As the Father hath sent me, now I am sending you. So that's what I want to talk about. Talking faith is the title of my short message. Colossians chapter two or four, verses two through six. Talking faith. Follow along as I read these words. Paul writing to this church. Devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, Paul and his small band of uh, brothers, that God may open a door for our message 
so that we may proclaim the message of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise to them in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Okay? Talking faith. This, this short passage has three important things very quickly in the source of this message, that I think every single person in this room, student, young and old, people in this room, every one of us should do and can do if we're taking seriously the calling that we have to be sent into the world with the message of the gospel, to reach people okay, right around us in our lives who are, you might say, spiritually lost. They might have a great life in some material ways, but they do not know the grace of God. They do not know the forgiveness of sin. They don't have a personal relationship. They haven't experienced the gospel for themselves. Now, let me say a few quick words before I dive in. Kind of a, a, a I don't know, whatever this is, a, a, um, a proviso for this sermon. Some of you, maybe, you're, maybe you just came with a friend. You're, you, you come to church here and there and you think, is this a service, Rob, about how to win people to faith? That's what it sounds like. Is this a service? You're going to tell us, talking faith, how to make converts. Okay? You might say. Maybe you're, and, and the answer to that question is, yes, it is. Okay? Yes, it is. But let me say something very important. It's not motivated by some unhealthy desire to grow this church or to point, you know, to, to be special, to be important. This isn't, you know, the haves and the have-nots. It's motivated what I'm going to say in these few minutes, by a very right and true and healthy desire to want to see more people in our communities all around where we live and do life um, come to experience the grace of God and to know his forgiveness for themselves. That's the motivation. Okay, hope you hear that. Okay, now with that said, Talking faith. Three things quickly in this message. Number one, this passage tells us we need to pray for open doors. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. That image is actually used all throughout if you are a careful reader of the New Testament. But this simple metaphor, an open door, actually represents a deep theological truth about the invisible work of God in which our calling takes place. This is more than just a a clever image. He uses it a lot. For example, the Apostle Paul, as you know, there were 12 apostles. We sometimes call Paul the 13th apostle. Why do we call him that sometimes? Because the apostle, the 12 apostles, Jesus said, I'm sending you to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I'm sending you to Jewish people. Jesus was Jewish. The 12 apostles were Jewish. The Christian faith comes out of Judaism, as many of you know. It started there in Jerusalem. But the big idea was always, all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant, was always that the Jewish people, the Jewish Messiah, would be the basis for reaching people all over. It was always the idea. 
But the 12 apostles, frankly, if you carefully read the New Testament, they spent most of their time, at least from the scripture text that we know, um, in Jerusalem. They never really left Israel. That was their calling. But the apostle Paul, who opened up the church, he was called in a strange way to reach the Gentiles. And he prays in Acts 14. I mean, it's a huge, huge calling. that we, we call it being, you know, doing missions, but this was when the whole world was unreached, literally. And Paul is the apostle to open that door, and he prays a prayer, and he says, God, I pray before I take a step, before I even know where to go, leaving the outline of, of, the, of the Jewish state. Where do I go? He says, I pray that you would open a door to the Gentiles. How do I know where to go? Later on, as you follow his journeys, there's one time where he's in the city of Ephesus, which became the epicenter of the early church. It became the sort of new Jerusalem. And when he comes to the city of Ephesus, which was like a Paris of its day, he says, Lord, I pray, now that I'm here, that you would open a door to this city for the gospel. Sometime later on, the book of Acts, he gets to a city called Troas. It's in, the book, it's in, in Turkey. And he says, Lord, I pray that you would open a door to the city of Troas. And God opens a door. But he even uses this image, this powerful metaphor, which is a theological truth that I'm encouraging you and me to use to talk about individual people. Acts chapter 16. Very part, middle of his second missionary journey. says these words. On the Sabbath... So you're sort of following this drama of the development of the early church. We went outside to the city gate to the river. It's the first time the Apostle Paul and his band of uh, uh, friends were in Western Europe. They're really out there in new territory. Where did they go? Where they're not going to go to the church? There aren't any. We went to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Maybe that's a place where people would gather to pray. We don't know. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening, always gets down to an individual name, was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth, maybe at the river doing something with the cloth. She was a worshiper of God. Okay. Not a Christian, but a worshiper. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the message. Now, if you follow Acts chapter 16, this woman becomes a Christian. Then Paul stays there for a season, not long, for some weeks. They have this great story about getting in jail and the Philippian jailer. At the end of this Acts chapter 16, all of these new believers, maybe there's 10, 20, they meet in a house, Lydia's house, which is the genesis, the birth of the church in Philippi, which Paul later writes a letter to. Now, why is that important when I talk about praying for open doors? That would have never happened, right? The church in Philippi, which then led to a lot of other churches in Western Europe. If the apostle Paul didn't exercise spiritual discernment in prayer, what do you mean, Rob, when he says pray for an open door? If you took some time to read all of Acts 16, I don't have time this morning, but just before Paul meets this woman at a river and decides to share the gospel with her, the Lord opened her heart, and within a week or month, they started a church there called the Church in Philippi. He was in Asia, Asia Minor, which is Turkey. And it says, while Paul was praying, he was trying to go this direction. This is, this is a close paraphrase. The Holy Spirit would not let him go into Asia. And he got close to the border of Bithynia, another town, and it said the Holy Spirit stopped him 
and said, you can't go this way. Now think about that for a minute. Why is that story there? We know this. He didn't say you can't go into Bithynia because everyone there is already a Christian. Nobody's a Christian anywhere. So one thing we know pretty confidently is that all the people in Bithynia or in Asia Minor, they were as lost and as non-Christian, unchristian as anybody anywhere else. But still, God said no. And that night, famous for some of us who know this story, he had a vision of a man in Macedonia, think Western Europe, who says, come here. And Paul wakes up the next morning and goes, I guess God wants us to go over there. And three days later, he's sitting at a river. He shares the gospel with this woman and it's the first church in Western Europe. But he uses the word here, devote yourselves to prayer, but be watchful. To be watchful means to have spiritual discernment. It's a word Jesus uses and it's something that we should do in our own lives. Listen, every person who becomes a Christian if, you're, if you believe the word of God, if you understand the theology of salvation, is a miracle. Every person is, that becomes a Christian is a miracle. I do my part, you do your part, but the only person that can open the eyes of the blind, the only person who can help people see the truth of the gospel, see their own sin, and see the beauty and the salvation of Jesus is the Holy Spirit is God himself. He's the only person that can do it, number one. But number two, God is using us and inviting us into the process. But here's what this passage tells us everything I'm saying to you in summarizing Acts 16. God loves everyone in the world. I think that's true. But he isn't working with everyone in the world at the same time and in the same way. Okay? I want to go this way. Lord, it's a, you know, the world is my oyster. There's no Christians anywhere. There's just a couple hundred. They're back in Jerusalem. I want to go here. The Lord says, no, I don't want you to go there. Why, Lord? There's so many lost people. Trust me. Because I know the hearts of men and women and these people aren't ready. I want you to go over here. That's spiritual discernment. That's praying for open doors. My own story, I've told some of this in church. Some of you know this, some of you don't. I'm, I'm, I'm the youngest of six kids. Nominal Catholic family. In our case anyway, we were not Christians. We were not followers of Jesus in, in the way that we, I understand it today. But you know, we went to parochial schools, this and that, but I did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. My oldest sister, she's a freshman in college, through her own story, it's her story to tell, she comes to know Jesus Christ as her Savior. She comes home at Christmas. It's a pretty big deal in our family. What in the world happened to her, right? But, but she shares this message. She was ready I don't think, you know, I wasn't that interested either was anyone else. But God changed her life. Four years later, another sister, freshman in college, she has the same experience. Why four years later? I don't know. Ask God. Four years after that, I'm a freshman in college. And I come to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. You say, what gives? Why didn't God do all of that in one fell swoop? You're all going to be Christians. Why not do it all at once? Because one man sows, one woman sows, another man, woman waters, but God gives the increase in his time when he wants to do it. He loves everybody. I think, that's con- I think the Bible clearly says God loves everybody, but he's not working with everybody in the same way at the same time, right? Only God knows the hearts of men and women. Only God knows the hearts of people in your school, students. Only God knows the hearts of the people in your office. Which ones are you, uh, should you be spending your time with? Listen, you have to have spiritual discernment. You need to pray for open doors, right? That's what Paul's trying to say here. And let me say one other thing before I get off this point. It's significant to me, if you read this passage, that Paul, this is his opportunity to ask for prayer. Pray for us too, my, me and my gang, 
um, that God would open a door for our message, but he doesn't say anything about open a door of the prison. He, he, but he mentions here in verse 4, he says this a lot in the Bible to make a point, in, he says, I'm in chains. This isn't interesting. The apostle Paul, the 13th apostle, is sitting in prison, but he doesn't say, pray that God will bust me out of prison. He said, just pray that God will open doors, it's a metaphor, to share the gospel. Okay? You know the first, you know the people that were part of the church in, in Philippi, the one that I mentioned? The jailer and his seven or eight kids. Right? If you read Acts chapter 16. His whole household became believers because that was the open door that God was leading Paul to then. And he had to be in prison to be able to share that. Isn't that unbelievable? What's it say to you and me? It says, listen, your circumstances are, are irrelevant. See, a lot of people say, well, I'm going to answer the calling when I finally get out of this jam, when I finally, you know, get out of the financial hole I'm in, when I finally, um, you know, get a promotion, when, I, when, I, when I'm do Some of us are in positions in, you know, we're, we're in a place in life where we're in a crappy job. We're, we're, we're raising our little kids. We hardly ever leave home. It doesn't matter where you are. That's what Paul's saying. You just need to pray for discernment because there, if Paul says my calling right now is to reach the jailer, okay, that's a pretty small circumscribed environment, then God can do that in your life and my life. We need to pray for open doors. Number two, this passage tells us, we need to make more room for relationships. If this is the first time you heard this, I'm be surprised if you've been in church any length of time in your life. But in all the 2,000 years of the history of the Christian church, the way people have come to faith, think about your own story here this morning or your husband's story or, your, or whatever, your friend's story. The, way, the main way people have come to faith for 2,000 hasn't changed. Even in all the sophistication and the internet and all that we do today in, in the 21st century, all the studies say the same thing. The overwhelming majority of people came to Jesus Christ because of a relationship with somebody else. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a golfing buddy, maybe it's a friend on an airplane, but they came to know the gospel through the context of relationship. And that's always been true. And when Paul says here in verse um, 5, let your convert, or excuse me, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, what's he talking about? He's not talking in this context about people that incoming people from foreign countries, okay? There wasn't a lot of mobile uh, travel in the first century. The word outsider is just talking about people who don't go to church because in this context, the church was very small. In the entire city of Philippi, there was probably 10 Christians. And Paul's basically, and, and Colossae is the same. These churches were very, very small. He said, listen, the, the outsider was a term he used. He means people who are outside of the relationship with Jesus that don't come to the little house fellowship, which meant the people you're going to work with, the people you hang out with, the people at the marketplace, the people at your school, everyone was in a manner speaking an outsider. Sometimes we today have this problem, I don't know, you know, because the church has been around for so long and maybe you grew up and your, and you, and your parents were Christian and you went to, you know, you, you, you'd say, I don't have a lot of friends that aren't Christians. Well, that was not a problem here, right? There was, everybody was a non-Christian. And he was simply talking about you need to use those relationships, see those relationships. That's the key. Be wise in the way you act towards us. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace. This is what it means to share the gospel then and today. 
right? Tim Keller, if you know the name Tim Keller, a well-known pastor, writer. He just passed away this year. The last thing he wrote, as far as I know, was an article for a a magazine called Lemonade on the Porch. You can get this on the internet. Sharing the gospel in a post-Christian society. Lemonade on the porch, sharing the gospel in a post-Christian society. And he makes the simple point, the argument, that for most of the American history, so we're talking about America, which he was going to say really up to the 20th century. So all of American history up until 25 years ago, there was a very bridgeable distance between people who didn't identify as Christians and people who do. So there was a lot of people then and now who don't go to church on a Sunday morning, so to speak, who wouldn't even call themselves Christians. But he said up until probably 25 years ago, there was a very bridgeable distance because most people who grew up in this culture, no matter what their background, they still had a general set of assumptions that they had whether or not they went to church. And here's what they were from some study that he did and others. Four basic core beliefs that they had. The people in your neighborhood and in mine in the 20th century. They believed in a personal God. Maybe it didn't didn't have a name. Maybe it wasn't Jesus. Maybe it wasn't Yahweh. But they believed in a personal God. Number two, they believed in an objective moral standard. Maybe it was the Ten Commandments. Maybe not. But it was something. They believed without even having read the, the book of Deuteronomy that you shouldn't sleep with another man's wife. That you shouldn't steal somebody's car. There was objective moral standards. They also believed that for the most part, nobody lived up to that perfectly, those morals. This was common sense, okay? And they believed in some kind of an afterlife. So Keller's point was, and he's not the only one making it, is in those days, in the old days, on the porches, right, or in the watering holes, or at the golf game, or over the fence. You, you, even if your friends never went to church, there were these assumptions. There was a bridgeable distance, and all you needed to do, if you were inclined to do it, is help bridge the gap, really, between point two and point three, which is no one keeps, there is a, a moral standard. We all know it in our hearts, whether we can quote the Bible verses or not, and we all are smart enough to know that we don't know anyone who is bridged, those who who keeps those moral standards and there's where you say now let me tell you about the beautiful gospel the gospel is not about it's not a moralism it's not about satisfying god's demands to be a moral person or or to a moral standard no one can do it you are right but god sent his son jesus christ to do it okay that's what you did in the 20th century but he's saying listen for the most part right now those assumptions aren't there anymore Those dots aren't there anymore. There's no dots to connect. So what we need to do, his point, is we need lemonade on the porch. The porch becomes a metaphor for creating opportunities to share the gospel. We have to create new environments because they don't exist in our culture anymore. His quote, the porch, from the article, is a place where one can be exposed to Christianity in an informal and positive way outside of a church service, okay? What we, the old days of saying, you want to come to church with me on Easter, that was a bridgeable distance. Now people are like, church? It's like asking me to get on a, sh- a ship to go to the, a, a, a rocket to go to the moon. It's too far of a gap, okay? That's what he's saying. Not necessarily a physical place, but a set of relationships where non-believers feel themselves to be, not to be intruders or tolerated onlookers, but people who are respected and invited to participate in a real 
conversation, right? That's what he's saying. This, by the way, is not difficult. We need to make more room for relationships. With permission, I shared briefly. One of my um, friends for the last 20 years, a guy named Mike Keyes, was an elder here for some years, um, and um, I use it just because he's just such a great example of this. And Mike has been a guy, in all the years I've known him, he, he has this real passion for getting men together. He's really natural at it. But almost everything I've been, whether it's in somebody's home, it's on the golf course, it's at some event, it's at a sporting event, he brings these people together and they're almost always a mix of church friends and non-church friends. And it's just natural for him. And his belief is that when you do that, it's amazing what can happen. And I was just, in light of this message, I just asked him this last week, I said, give me your philosophy in a paragraph, is what he said. What I find is that most people, especially men, that's his unique uh, calling, you might say, are in deep need of relationship. Most do not have someone to get them and others together. I fill that role. Right? He's a party planner. Okay? Putting Christians and non-Christians, believers, non-believers, in the same space for a couple of hours is often amazing. One quick example. Um, just less, because this made me think of this illustration. He, he does these gatherings, and he wanted to do another one. He does them all the time. I'm at all of them, I'm at some of them. And it's time for another guy's get together. And I said, Well, Mike, I just put a new um, deck in my house. I go, I'll have it. Want an excuse to use my deck? He goes, Great. Next Tuesday. <laughs> Next Tuesday, which was last week, or, um, 15 guys show up at my door. Okay, boom. It was that simple. They came in, a little pizza. Now, some of them, had a cigar, lots of them had a piece of pizza, but virtually all of them sitting around that deck, some churchgoers, some not, got into a deep conversation that eventually got past sports and politics to talk about life, okay? It's that simple. But what Tim Keller's saying, what I'm saying to you guys is, listen, we need to create, we need to make more room for relationships, and we need to, it's not about giving people a, a verse of scripture that's important. It's not about, you know, simply inviting them to church. That's not a bad idea if they're open to it. It's about living your life before other people. Be always ready, verse 5. Speak, may, may your conversation be full of grace and seasoned with salt so that you can answer anyone who asks you. Why do you do what you do? Why do you live your life this way? How come, why, this is interesting. They can't ask those questions if they're not spending time with you. You need to make room for relationships. I, um, some I may have said this story before. I, I uh, you know, seven, eight years ago, I moved into a different house, and I, I didn't know anybody because I was new to the street, and I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a Christmas party just for the people, my neighbors, you know, the old school flyer, okay? And uh, I did it for three or four years. It was great. I got to know my neighbors. Actually, wasn't the goal. Uh, uh, two of them did come to this church, was not my goal, but I'm just made it happen over time. And um, but then COVID, you know, killed the Christmas party, right? And uh, and even even the years when COVID was over, it was you know people are slow to. So I said this year, you know what? I'm done with that. I'm gonna redo my Christmas party. And just now, last you know, a couple of weeks, and and just in the last week already, I'm my little flyer out there again. And now and in these years, I actually have three new neighbors. And, and my neighbor, one of my neighbors who is, I can say this, and I know she's never going to listen to this thing because she's not a church-going lady, okay? She, she took it and she said, great. Um, 
uh, what can I bring? Okay. In other words, people are open to it. You can do it. What are the porches? Let me just give you some examples. I told you a little bit of a how-to message. What are the modern-day porches? Well, how can you create spaces just to simply do life with people? It's so easy, guys. Sports is a great way to do it. Hobbies is a great way to do it. Listen, I've heard this uh, maybe more with women than men. Book clubs, right? Even though with all the great internet, book clubs are, are, are super popular these days. What an opportunity just to, to, to people do it all the time. I know many, many people that do book clubs. And you read whatever you read, but you could all, and when you say, oh, geez, I want to read this book. Could be about, uh, uh, you know, spiritual matters. Could be a faith. I've never heard someone go, oh, no, we're not want to do that book. Okay? Even Bible studies. I know people, my sister is one example, I'll use her as an example, who is for years been doing Bible studies, in her case with women, and most of them are believers, but some of them aren't. You think, why would a non-believer want to do a Bible study? Because you ask them and they say, would you like to study the book of Matthew with us? Yeah, I'll do it. People will do it. They might not be, they might be less interested in joining this group you know, right away, but coming over to your house with some friends to study the Bible, you believe it or not, people will do it. And certainly service. I read a book recently that said for millennials and Gen Z, I don't know if this is even true, but it says service is the new evangelism. In other words, people, they might say, and I'm not so sure I want to talk about that. I'm not so sure I want to come to your church, um, but we're going to go do something, a project. I'm in. You know what I put in my little flyer with this thinking in mind? It's so simple. I said, what do you need to bring? Everyone always says that when you have a party. I said, nothing except, here's two ministry things. You know, ministry, you know, these, inter- these partners bring a gift card for a kid in need. Done. People are happy to do it. Okay? So, one, we need to pray for open doors. We need to have discernment with the people in your life. Two, we need to make room for relationships. We need to create some porches. Guys, it's not that difficult. And lastly, we need to start the conversation. Right? We need to start the conversation. This is what he's saying. This is his metaphor, his word. Let the conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. You might think grace and truth, so that you may know how to answer everyone. That's so, he's not saying this one. Does God love all people? Yes, he loves all people. Do all people ready? No, they're not. Do all people have the same questions? No, they don't. You got to pray. You have to exercise discernment and ask God to lead you to the people that today, which will be different from four years from now and four years from then, who are open to Him. Last, let me give you a quick closing story of how simple this is. Just, um, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, I had my financial advisor gathering. Uh, I mean, meeting, right? You know, I do it every couple years. It's not a very long meeting in my case, okay? But I meet with my financial advisor. And my financial advisor happens to be a Christian, and I know him, and we've known him. So, I'm, I mean, I'm not, it's not a lot of prep for this meeting, and it's, it's fun, and we catch up. But I show up to the meeting, and in this case, there's another person there. And it's no big deal. There's another person in the office who is, you know, getting to, to, to enjoy the, the, maybe I'm sharing me as a client, so to speak. And so I was fine with it, 
But you know what these are like, those of you who have a financial advisor or, or you know, you, it's going to your financial advisor is kind of like going to the doctor. You know, in other words, you, you're, you're sharing personal information. Next thing you know, it's not a big deal to me, but this other woman who's in the meeting, she immediately knows how much I make, how much I give. All this is, is the, it's, it's the information that you share with your, so we're having kind of a personal conversation um, in within 20 minutes. Well, this goes on for an hour. We talk about this and that and the other thing. And she's, you know, it's very comfortable asking the typical questions that you might ask. But somehow in the midst of all that did come up the question of maybe it was because of giving money. Maybe it was because of what I do for a living. Church came up. So as we're getting ready after an hour is done, I just, it's just I wasn't planning on this. I just said, that's all I asked her. I said, hey, well, let me ask you something. Where do you guys fellowship? You know, she mentioned her husband. Like, do, do you, where do you go to church? Do you go to church? She said, well, um, no, we, we don't. Now, that could have been the end. I'm smart enough to know if she was like, I don't want to talk about it. I would have picked up on it. But she said, no, we don't. Actually, I grew up this way. My husband grew up that way. We haven't really raised our girls this way. I mean, she went on for some minutes and ans- answered a lot of questions I didn't ask. And eventually she said, you know, but we're getting to a place with my girls now who are teenagers that we're really looking to f- a place where maybe we can get some questions answered. All that came out of, where do you guys fellowship? <laughs> and I said, well, listen, here's what I would say. I think churches, and I wasn't trying to say here, but that I would say that too. Churches, there are, God is open for questions. It's a great, great churches are, faith is a great place to bring your questions and your girls' questions. That's how the conversation ended. So here's my hope, guys, for us, right? For our church. We need to start praying for open doors. It's the, the, it, what's old is new again. We're back to the future. People that live on your street and my street, they might drive a nice car and have a nice job. They're as far from Jesus, many of them, as people on the four corners of the earth than, than they are in any place in the world. The world has changed while we've been going to work and been doing our lives. So we need to pray for open doors. We need to start making more room for relationships. Get creative. It's not difficult. There's no other answer but this one. And people are want to know. Think about it. If, I heard someone say, if your friends who are non-Christians in your life, if they really thought you believed what you say you believe, they probably wonder, why aren't you talking to me about it? You know what I mean? I think they are. But we just need to be full of grace, right? We're not in a moral crusade. First thing I want to tell my friends is if they ask me at my Christmas party, let me tell you my story, right? There but for the grace of God go I, right? Because once they know God's grace has changed your life, that's really the basis, then you can season it with truth because the gospel is truth. There is content. They do need to know that heaven and hell are real. They do need to know that God sent his son to die for their sin. They need to turn from their sin and turn to God, but before they're open to hear that truth, they need to experience a message full of grace. They need to understand that you are just like them in the sense of you're a sinner saved by grace. Okay? That only happens in relationship. Amen? Amen. Now, we're going to end this message, but also this series by... um, really just singing, and I want to commission us just in a short prayer at the end of this song uh, for uh, our work ahead as a church. But let me say this quickly, 
and then we're going to sing. Band's probably already out here. Here we come. Um, we want to do a better job. I mean, I say we, and I'm talking about our staff, in helping you all in this work. And there's most of what I just got done saying in the last 30 minutes is about your neighborhood. So I'm just giving you some coaching from the Bible. But sometimes your experience can happen through a ministry of the church. And much of what we've done over the last month, many of the events that you may have gone to were about local partners. Services, the new evangelism. Not only for you, but you know, you might have friends that wouldn't, wouldn't come to Christmas Eve services here. But they'd come and serve with you at a local partner. So we want to, I have a quick survey that I hope that you'll do uh, if many of you would do it. You could do it right now, but I mean today. If you just go, on, it's, it's a, it says outreach survey right at the other side of that link. There's only two questions, and the purpose is to give a report card on us. It's helping us understand how many of you are involved in any local partner. And then the second question is, you want information, maybe you're going to be involved. Okay, That's helping us do a better job at our discipleship work with you. So I, I would strongly encourage you to do that. Amen? All right, let's stand and sing.